Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's show, our guest is a shamist, soul gardener, and medium. Her name is Austin Wells, and you can find her at austinwells.com. Hello and welcome to the show, Austin. How are you today? I'm very good, Erin. How are you? Pretty good. When did you discover the gift of mediumship, shaman, and soul garden? <laughs> they came in waves, I'll say that. But I've been aware of the spirit world since I was a child, um, primarily because I would feel them around me and their help was so available that I just assumed that other people could sense them the way that I could. So I have always felt very supported and very taken care of. And it's an interesting thing when you take something for granted or when you have that moment when you realize that other people don't see it the same way that you do. You have a story where you're preparing for a fashion show and uh, tell us about that. Yes, I do. I was about five and my mom wasn't necessarily someone that you went to if you had emotional challenges so i was very good at kind of figuring things out for myself and it's probably a good thing that the spirit world was available but i was in a fashion show and i was really nervous i was going to trip or fall and the night before it i was sitting up in bed and talking to my stuffed animals who were helping but not as much as they needed and then all of a sudden the walls in my room started to morph and from them came these people. They were silhouettes at first, then they became very clear presences to me. And this one woman came up to the side of my bed and she said, with a language that was energetic, not words, we're here to help. I didn't even really need to say what was going on, they just knew, but I communicated to her about the fashion show. And then all of a sudden my room became two dimensions. It became the dimension of the fashion show next to me, but then I was still within my dimension with this woman and all these people in my room. But I was able to actually witness myself the next day and know that I was gonna be absolutely fine, even though I was nervous and even though I was I could tell there was still an awkwardness about it. And somehow it gave me so much comfort that then that scene dissipated and I found myself back in my bed talking to this woman. And at that point, the rest of the people in the room were not apparent to me, but just the presence of this woman. And she checked in with me again. And upon realizing I was going to be fine, she faded. And then I quickly went to sleep. As a child, how did that feel first time experiencing this? Honestly, it was something I felt like was very normal to me at that point. It was just an extension of other things that I expected, I guess. So I think that ability to be interrelated and that available was that the help was available and the dimensions were extraordinarily tangible and accessible was just something I knew and I honestly feel kids know it I really do 
I think they're the purity of their soul coming in. They have an awareness of it, but we just forget it because we're so very connected to the physical world and that seems to be what becomes the reality that we accept and it makes sense i think it's part of the reason why our souls come here is for that experience when you saw this woman for the first time what was going through her head i know it's a long time ago and you probably had different feelings <laughs> no but... i was so comforted i wasn't scared at all it was just i guess it kind of made me feel like someone hurt me but again, you know, there was this awareness. I think I knew, even at that age, like that was a very natural thing that if you ask and receive. But I think I was getting, at that point, more aware of the fact that human beings weren't always so accessible. So, but I, but it really reminded me that, gosh, if I just thought about something I needed support with, that there was always an availability. It's just it may not be one that came in a physical form. After that experience, what happened afterwards? Um, the next day was fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think things got really expanded for me, or at least I think then I had more recollection of connection with the spirit world. There was a dog down the street that um, I always would have conversations with inside my heart and my head, and I knew the dog understood me. And as I was going down the hill, when I said, you know, hello and goodbye to the dog real quick, the dog said, I've really enjoyed being friends. I won't see you anymore. And I got really thrown by it because I, it just wasn't the normal conversation. But I just looked at the dog and then the dog disappeared and I kind of forgot about it. But the dog was hit by a car that afternoon and did in fact die. And I do remember after that, like that felt really intense to me that I would have an awareness of that kind of fleeting in and out. It just felt like a lot of responsibility. And, and it's also, I could hear myself having kind of adult language on the mind of a child, but um, I think it made me a little bit nervous. And the one thing I do know about the spirit world is when, when people are developing, the spirit world's going to be very kind to you as far as how they nurture you. And if fear does arise they will kind of shield an awareness uh until such time that you can kind of reclaim the comfort of it and the security of it having these gifts as a child did you feel that the responsibility was too too much i think i must have kind of negotiated myself out of having it be that strong at that point i mean I, I think that's what happened because it was it was something i was so incredibly aware of I had a grandmother that was perceptive, but not in psychic terms or mediumistic terms. I think also when it's not something that is immediately mirrored in your environment, I don't know if there's this default to it naturally. I think you just become kind of reflective of what's around you. So it just seemed to kind of fade at that point. Did you kind of feel like it was your superpower in some way as a child? <laughs> I had a cape and everything. Um, superpower. Gosh, I don't know if I would have called it a superpower. I like the idea of that, though. I always think of us having like an empowered little self within us. So that language makes a lot of sense to me. But I think the idea that I always felt was that I was just so grateful that I just had this odd 
certainty as a child that God listened to what I had to say. And it wasn't like he didn't listen to other people or he, she didn't listen to other people or that presence of the universe didn't listen to other people, but that it was just a normal thing you did, you know, when somebody wasn't well, that you would pray for them, that it was just, it was just what we were supposed to do. So I think there's a, there's just such a beautiful part of childhood that has innocence with it. And that innocence is just the pure acceptance of something. And I think that's the thing we tend to forget as time goes on in our lives. Some people remember, but some people forget. As a child growing up into an adult, did you kind of have to forget about these gifts for a period of time? I think they just faded. I think it's the best way. I don't think I consciously forgot. Like, it's not like I took out an Etch-A-Sketch and said, oh, go away. It just, it just faded, you know, from my awareness. I probably just didn't flex the muscle as much or I forgot that I could do those things. I got it concerned with other things like boys and those kind of things. <laughs> and at what stage of your growth did you come back to this gift? My first boyfriend's mom was really, really intuitive. She was such an important part, I think, in my life, and I didn't realize it as much until I have a moment to kind of reflect that she had tarot cards and she talked spirit and she recognized when I told her those stories, it wasn't my imagination that was manifesting. It was just that I had this, you know, this awareness. So in their house, because I lived with them for a while, there would be not paranormal events, but there would be extraordinary circumstances that she would help me understand. Um, one day, I remember I had a job in college where I was driving um, a van for the theater department. I had been getting ready in the bathroom in their house, and I saw a black shadow They had three mirrors on one wall, and then I was facing a a wall that had a mirror, and then there were two mirrors on the other side, so there were all these paneled mirrors. And as I was standing there blittering my hair, this black kind of shadow just went through every single mirror in succession, and it really got my attention. And when I went out to tell her about it, she said, you can't go, you can't go to to work today. And I said, no, 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 I have to. Like, I, you know, I need to go. And she really tried to get me not to go. Well, I had a car accident that day. I hit a flatbed truck going 40 miles an hour. I didn't see it in front of me because another car pulled out right before. Although I was absolutely fine. I don't know how I really was unscathed, except for to say that um, it was definitely, and she knew when the call went in from the ambulance to the college that it had happened, um, or the call went in, she had already called and asked um, if I was okay and where was I, because she had an imprint that something was going on that day. Was that car accident like a near-death experience, or was it just a... No, I, I mean, I lost time for sure. You know, it's funny you ask that because I'd never really thought about it in that context. Um, I've had that experience, but I don't think because I don't have an awareness of being other places, but I have had moments in my life where I feel like I just kind of skip time because I remember being aware of the van hitting about to hit but I don't remember what happened and then I just knew I was standing in the back of the van and the windshield had popped out so I don't know how I got where I was I have no idea how that happened I still don't know because I didn't crawl out from the front seat I was just in the back of the van standing 
So that kind of loss of time. And it's interesting you bring that up because when I'm talking to souls as a medium, they very clearly talk about death and their death um, quite frequently and talk about how they can choose to step out like prior to their passing. I remember there was this one soul that was showing me how he was riding a bicycle and then he was next to or trying to pass a truck and the truck kind of pressed him into the sidewalk and then stuff happened but he showed me like the diagram of the streets and said my soul got off got out the corner before like the majority of my soul that didn't need to be there I got out of that body way before it needed to happen and just left enough of the kind of like base operating system so that could happen but my soul didn't need to be there at that moment that wasn't what it was about so um I do know that we kind of step in and out of time for sure when you heard that description what were you thinking I just thought it was fascinating I that's part of the reason why I love mediumship because I really invite them to converse quite profoundly on whatever they want to say I try not to project a a script upon them like you have to say how you died and this and this and this and the kids taught me the most about this in the spirit world that to just let the soul speak on its own behalf and just follow them you know whatever they want to talk about you just let them do that there was a time period where the kids have talked about death and they've talked about that experience of the stepping out of the soul from the physical body and how birth is the hard part <laughs> that death is just like fly they all the kids describe it like flying they just say that's and it's funny you said Aaron have you had a near-death experience you must have right uh, yeah. Okay. So does that superhero thing that you said, like, does that correlate to that with a sensation of flying? I would think it would because you're, you're projecting out of the body, you know? Yeah. And when you say kids, what do you mean? Like kids in another reality or in heaven? What do you mean? Um, I mean kids that I connect with in mediumship sessions and then how the children teach me as as an intuitive for sure because i deal with parents whose children have died and uh, quite a bit through a national grief organization or just through different conferences that i do the joy of it is the kids are fine one of the major things that we seem to want to know is are they okay they're beyond okay like they're beyond okay it's the human being realm that needs the most love and healing <laughs> for sure but the kids are hilarious because they never follow rules because they're kids you know but um they are just um so playful and they come into this world i think they've taught me a lot about the power of the presence of a soul because they're very proud about coming in especially when their lives are shorter than other people because they have this gets me really emotional but um, they give me this feeling that it's an honor to come here period but when this came about with the Sandy Hook tragedy the shooting was I knew I needed language to be able to talk to people about what I experienced or what that that moment was and how could we as human beings wrap our heads around children dying so I went into a meditation I asked to be educated like teach teach me what I how you wish me to present this going forward and I ended up in this field at dusk I was standing in the middle of 
a circle and around me were all these bushes with these little I could they were like all the bushes were kind of moving and it looked like there were lights in the bushes but I couldn't quite figure out what was going on and then I realized it was this huge game of hide and seek and I was it I was absolutely it and in the bushes all the little lights were the kids and they were having fun because they knew I was coming right and they decided to try to hide but being kids they were all giggling and I knew that they were there so the minute I had that realization of oh my god there's all these kids around I just was flooded with what looked like you know like a solar uh, like all these stars just came floating toward me so it was just a bright happy just effervescent moment and I said to them I said help me guys help me with this like what do you guys want me to say and they kind of became the teacher and they just said oh you humans and they started <laughs> laughing and I said yeah I agree and they said you never pay attention until a, ch- a child is affected because until pure innocence is affected change doesn't seem to happen and they kind of that was the only time that they got kind of sad about it but then they got very proud about the fact that they had participated in it and they said we come we're trying to we're trying to shift some of the laws and we're trying to work with guns differently you know and and they really made it clear to me that they had wanted to come in specifically for that and that there were other reasons that they'd come in too but that it's a big deal when a group of people step out to teach the world because that's like what we what we would value as a purple heart right and courageous is is like what it felt like to them and and it was just beautiful it's just beautiful when a child passes away why do you think the human takes for ages to digest the the mourning of a of a child physically um that's a really complicated and stunning question um there's because as a soul we know that there's continuity with in a connection always so the soul will always be connected so the good news is that part grief especially for a parent never changes it's i mean it, it can become a dimmer switch that has a little bit more of a control to it but the grief of a parent will last their entire life that's not something that they overcome we may overcome the grief of someone but a parent losing a child or a sibling losing a sibling is it's just not what's supposed to be and i think because we compare ourselves so frequently to what is around us there's this idea of normal and the death of a child will never be normal so the grief is it seems to be a propeller for the soul so it's a then a free will piece for the parent about how is their life affected by that change and many parents go into service in a way that is completely unexpected i work for a national grief organization called grief haven susan whitmore who runs it was propelled to create grief haven because of the the death of her daughter and it would it's never something that she had envisioned for herself standing in front of people and and fundraising and but her life has become about trying to ease others because there was a moment when she had no support so it it can create immense immense beauty but grief is i think it's challenging because it really separates the physical from the spiritual and it it demands a different attention as a person who has uh, spiritual gifts how can you help participate in the grief program i became a grief counselor 
Once I became a medium, I realized I didn't have a friggin' clue about death. It, I certainly in my family, we never spoke about death. We didn't speak about dying. And there were numerous experiences to validate that. I felt a huge responsibility. Not only as a medium do you feel a responsibility, but then I, as a human being, sitting with another person, witnessing them having an emotional response to something, I realized I had to have a better first aid kit, I guess, a spiritual first aid kit to know what I might be experiencing, not just with the spirit world and communicating, but how might I hold my client with the respect that they need. And that's not only understanding how each culture kind of looks at death differently and how their world embraces the afterlife, but being able to recognize when I, as a medium, can offer just a minutia of what the client actually needs and that, you know, psychological support or um, family counseling is necessary because it's, it's, especially with the more complicated situations, you need to have the right language for it to understand. And, and even then with my mind knowing the right things, I still have to default to the intelligence of the spirit world to help me when I feel like I don't quite know what to do to have at least what I feel is as much preparation as I can have. Where does the mediumship assist to help the person? Because I know as a medium that I'm touching into an infinite intelligence and I have a limited intelligence. Erin, as much as I would love to think of myself as an intellectual and a charismatic and a caring woman, it is nothing in comparison to the amount of love that we have from the spirit world. So the best lesson that being a medium has taught me is the more I surrender, the more help I can get. For instance, that moment in my bedroom when I was five, the reason it happened is because I had I had run out of things that I could do or thought I could do for the moment, and I prayed for my soul. And then I became aware of the fact that that help, that assistance to give me exactly what I needed, which I could not have framed, was answered. So prayer and that spiritual part of us that no matter what the context is, reaches out for an infinite intelligence is a reminder that assists anybody through any moment in a life. And the more we surrender, which is not our default, by the way, surrender is not everybody's happy moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But um, that surrender into the I don't know, it's, it's kind of the I am that I am. I have to understand that there is a much greater presence that and an orchestration to things that if I can just let go of the need to really define it with my mind that things will be absolutely fine even in what feels like chaos as someone knowing that you're infinite uh, intelligence what does that feel like when that connection goes on living is effortless because there's such a interconnectedness there's a blending of souls into just the awareness that we are here to assist each other and to do this together. It's part of the joy of working as a medium is this feeling that when I'm allowed to work in these moments and I really look at not what I do as a gift, but the ability to practice this as a gift to me because I'm so honored to do this work. I love the fact that you call it a gift. There's an availability that for some 
beautiful, thank God reason I'm, I'm able to tap into that. But that is available to all of us. It's not that everybody should hang a shingle and be a medium, but the connection with the spirit world and the connection with that higher self and that infinite intelligence, I really believe is something we all would benefit greatly from. You practice meditation. You're a meditator. You know what that's like. I think the quote that comes to mind is from Spider-Man. Great power is great responsibility. <laughs> I love the fact that you quoted Spider-Man. That's awesome. See, we're back to superpowers. Yeah. You need a cape, man. You just need a cape. We all do, don't we? Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because like, that's actually been um, something I've done in meditations with groups has gotten them to give themselves a cape <laughs> just because it's just it's superhuman and i think that it's more fun to put it in that context than to make it all vaulty and higher than thou so in 2012 you had this uprising spiral of your gift to the public tell us about that you're so funny because you're one of the few people that actually has ever asked the question are you asking it asking about the connection with john edward yes i am Okay. I'm very, pr not private about it. I just respect the man so much. The The speaking of it is something that's kind of sacred to me, primarily because it was so clearly out of my hands at that point, uh, what was where I was, what I was meant to do with my work. So I was at a retreat and John, um, who is very good friends with an English medium who I now work with on a regular basis, whose name is Robert Brown. Um, John had come down to teach and share knowledge. And it was an incredible moment because this is awful to say, but I had known of him, but not really in-depthly exposed myself to his wisdom. and. What intrigued me about him was he wanted to talk about ethics and integrity, <laughs> which are like, once once I've done this work, that's like the mainstay for me. If if somebody is, that that has to be their, their first desire because wanting to be famous or these other things, there's so much of that that's about the human being want to do it, wanting to do something, not about the soul wanting to do things. But anyway, so he was teaching this class and I wanted to comment about something that he was talking about. And I, and I just added, I said, can I, I really am inspired by what you're saying, but I think we need to help people vision who they are becoming, not tell them what their life is, but help them vision it. And for some reason, there was something about that particular statement he told me that either gave him chills or he had some kind of an effect and that was all that had to be said. So the next thing I knew, Robert had told me that he wanted me to contact him, uh, John, and that was a little bit to take in because it was just a lot to take in at that point. <laughs> but um, during the course of the time I was there, I actually got to demonstrate with him side by side and that was an extraordinary experience because I had wanted to really understand demonstration before I'd done it publicly and then here I am standing next to him and working and I was like okay this is different but infinite quest was the idea of John to have this amazing spiritual portal online there were other workers such as Brian Weiss and uh, Hollis Durant Suzanne Northrup uh, John had a number of different pe people affiliated with the Sharmar Golis who's another um, great pal of his all affiliated with the network and then what we did was is that he wanted to create an accessible place online where people could be spiritually inspired and 
I greatly appreciate him because it's something that then, of course, became what people did after that. But he was, he really was a visionary in that. And Infinite Quest had been online for quite some time. So um, it was just an honor to be part of that. Yeah, it sounds like that was the projection of a rocket to moon uh, in your public life. Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely it, uh, the first indication I had from the spirit world that they wanted me to not just be so coy about how I was presenting everything. But I, there's just, I, I think you, for some reason I'm saying this because I really feel you understand this. There's such an honor in being able to connect with the spirit world and to be of service in a way that is so genuinely fulfilling it almost doesn't need compliment from the outside so i'm very covetous of it i want to just really honor the people i'm with and give them my full attention but it's evident to me especially because i just signed a book contract and things are moving in a different direction it's bigger than me at this point and that's fine because now i'm excited about it ready and excited to see where we go from here you got to host a radio show tell us about that yes well the connection with infinite quest was i had my own show on that so i was given an hour to take calls and the calls would come in through the new york office and then they would connect to me in la it was just magical to have that and then i i mean i love doing interviews doing other radio shows as well but that particular work and having that kind of visibility was really really fun because it started to build its own kind of family and network and people that I'm still in contact with from having that and I've had people reach out to me about doing shows since but I've wanted to nurture some things that I'm developing and it's about the time that it's going to start working now. What did radio teach you as a person? The power of listening not only to the individual but to the spirit world at the same time. How much just availing yourself to wanting to help can be powerful for people and that's not an ego thing that's just what we all should be doing on a regular basis another illustration that everybody's at a different place but that no matter how the shows would orchestrate people would listen to them sometimes years afterward and have things said that help them. That happens in sessions too, where I have no problems with a no in a session because I've realized when no's happen (laughs) that the spirit world has their own timing with things. And sometimes it's either a way that the message gets to other people for validation or it's when the person's listening to the session again that it makes sense then. So that much like in my bedroom when I was five and there was this awareness of all time, we just have to realize that we need it to make sense right now and that's not what's supposed to happen. I think the other thing I would say is we need to have more faith and trust. What is the soul garden? I would have a mediumship session and one thing that I pick up a lot on is um, family karma and how why a certain patterns in the family and how it's being affected or progressed or dismissed by the family so I would feel really bad during a session if something came up with a client and I'd say well that runs in the family well good luck with that you know I just I felt like I was dropping them off at the curb and it, it just it felt disingenuous so I studied shamanism and the grief counseling and remote viewing and a whole bunch of other multiple forays into uh, different ways of visioning things to have different tools to work with my clients so the soul gardening was the epiphany of the mediumship which is 
how important it is for us to see ourselves as soul and then as human. <laughs> you can kind of say, well, we have to we have to recognize both of them, but the soul needs to be tended and gardened. So the soul gardener just became a term that I came up with and um, have stuck with, uh, and it works really well um, because it gives me the flexibility to weave in the other things that I do without having to say, okay, we're going to do shaman work now or we're going to do this. It just kind of puts an umbrella over it. It is a cool word to identify the soul is the garden and your garden your garden is what you do. Yeah. I like the analogy of it too because the spirit works so much with the metaphors of nature and I think it's brilliant because there's just this always there's seasons and there's repetitions for reasons and then but everything is different each time and I think the natural um, the way that the soul speaks in metaphor and in symbols is important because if you can take a situation and kind of put it into a metaphoric representation it's easier for us to see it more clearly so the the gardening works well was it something that someone gave to you or you came up by yourself i don't ever claim i come up with anything by myself these days <laughs> now that i understand how much the spirit world like dots you know will dust in ideas because they've told me even with inventions that they essentially will give it to many different people because they know nobody's like hardly anybody's going to follow through with it so it's like a law of averages so if something like that comes through i know i know it's a co-creation i love to take full credit for it but assuming an ego has never worked well for me so i'll just remain humble and with the shamanic work what do you do in this the shaman work is the inclusion of the natural world it's connecting because when people go on a spiritual search for some reason they sometimes they forget that they're physical right mm -hmm. so the what's beautiful about the shamanism is that the indigenous cultures found god found spirit within what was around them therefore connecting to the physical spiritually so i love that part of shamanism because it gave me a, a way of having magical eyes within our realm for instance when i was so i shama i will open sacred space before any of my mediumship sessions and before the client i had this morning for our you know our interview i have a hummingbird feeder outside my window and the hummingbirds always come up and just drink from the feeder but as i was opening sacred space and i was in the direction of the north which for me is hummingbirds energy and the ancestors which is very important for my mediumship work um this hummingbird was flying around the feeder but wasn't drinking the nectar it was like it was trying to figure out how to find the nectar but it was working really hard but then it was right there and it just didn't find it so i knew it was a metaphor for my client and sure enough it absolutely was so my shaman eyes teach me take in the immediate circumstances because spirit's working everywhere but then it also helps me with energy management because even though i've studied from different energy medicine schools there's ways that the schooling that I went through looked at the physical body energetically and how to shift the energy so we don't get stuck ever that's a mental perception and our, our mind thinks we get stuck but energy doesn't get stuck I mean it doesn't even make sense to say that which is a great illustration of how our mind and our soul just need to get it together I was listening to a previous interview you'd given maybe a year or two ago and you talked about dreams. What's your opinion about dreams? I just think we're stepping into time differently. I think it's like 
out-of-body experiences. I think it's a way that we make sense of things. If we're here to learn, if we're here to step into the illusion of being separate and alone, which is an illusion. I think the dreams are when our soul is reminded of things, when our soul gets kind of like a boo kitty intervention, so then it can come within the mind and we can be remembered as spiritual beings. I think dreams are fascinating. If we remember them the next morning, what does that mean? I think there's significance to it. I think it's worth looking at. I think sometimes, <laughs> it's gonna be, hopefully it's not a crude analogy, much like the physical system, if we have gas, we release it, right, physically. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think the mind gets stuck on things, so sometimes through a dream the same thing happens for the mind. I think it's, it's just like a way that the mind can release something it doesn't need. And sometimes you have those, I'm floating in the middle of the ocean and I'm a donut dreams, which are just like, okay, I don't even know what to do with that. But I do find if I look at the scape of my dreams, I can definitely tell how I'm holding my life. If they're expansive and exploratory, then I know I've got my stress and hold. If I have high tension dreams and my dreamscape is disturbed, then I know that I need to you know, almost using a gardening analogy, I got to go look at where the weeds are growing and what's getting my garden. So the, the physical symptoms before going to bed can trigger the weeds of the dreams. I think it's the mind is it's funny. It's funny to call the mind physical because I think it's that the brain is physical, but the mind itself is an energy, is a current, I suppose. We could, we could work so much with our dreams if we would remember to do so. If you need clarification and you remember that you step out of your body any night you go to sleep, any night you go to sleep, you are not in your body. It's just sometimes you remember getting out of your body, which is those out-of-body experiences that can happen sometimes when people are just coming up out of consciousness or aware of those. But if you can use it as a, a very creative tool to get assistance and to have your guides work with you. And for some people, it's the easiest foray into learning to trust the spirit world because then it doesn't feel like they're giving themselves over to something. They could just say, well, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to put this hope out there and then they maybe wake up with a new bit of information because a lot of people right before they wake up have a great idea and they wake up with it and I don't think that that's accidental at all. It sounds like the bus is parked up, the driver's outside getting his cup of coffee and uh, <laughs> shooting the breeze. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the different energy medicine schools that I worked in, we would spend time doing spirit flight, more or less. We'd have the physical body there and we would do a, a ceremony essentially to tell the soul, okay, go you know, go take a vacation. So while the soul was not as connected to the physical form, um, then, then there could be interventions done on the body without the mind coming into the play because the mind would be occupied with a different foray. Much like taking your, your car into the shop. I mean, you're not sitting there in the car trying to drive it while it's in the shop. You leave for a while, do something else and come back and then the car is ready. It's been serviced, right? Yeah. So spirit doctors and so on and so forth. There's so many things, even within mediumship sessions, I'm oftentimes told and this happened this morning where the client I had, one of the first things I said is I'm being asked to tell you if the spirit world can have your permission because, you know, there's energy practitioners, it seems that want to do some work with your physical 
itself. Now, she's a developing medium, so they may have been working with her in that context because I know her in that regard, but I don't ever question it. I just know that if they're doing it, it's for the right reason, especially because I don't have people around me unless there's a very sacred space, so I trust the spirit world knows what they're doing far beyond what I could understand. Do you mentor uh, people to become mediums? Yes, I do. I What I do is I mentor people in their intuitive and mediumistic development. I also have people who want a spiritual practice and just want to practice. You know, maybe they don't want to do it professionally. I, I've been having a lot of fun lately doing intuitive branding, which is which has been so much fun because um, it's kind of like a different think tank because it's just feeling the energy around something and coming up with a logo or coming up with a tagline or something. And that's been another element of where the mentorship has gone. But the mentorship is depending on the level of the individual it needs to be to me I, I can't come up with a system that every single person goes through because every person that comes to me is at a completely different place like some people are very clairvoyant some people are very clairsentient so if they feel more than they think I can't treat them like they see all the time if how they if their orientation is feeling first so I try when I'm working with people um, I take notes on the process to just nurture them exactly where they are because it's what I did not have when I was doing any of this work I've done most of it on my own so I'm trying to kind of look back and think how could I be helpful like if I could go back in time what could I have used then and I could have really used somebody even if I was just demonstrating or something someone I could call and say okay this happened this happened this happened what do you think that's the context by which the mentorship kind of developed and it really developed organically from people saying could you help me with this and I thought oh maybe I should offer that was it something that you came about or did it kind of organically grow my whole business has organically grown I really listen to what people say to me Erin um, I had some people a while back who had asked if I could teach something and I just stepped into it it goes back to what I was talking about listening. I think if there's, if there's a, a number one thing I think we all could be better at, it's listening. Listening to each other, listening to ourselves, and for sure listening to the universe and the signs and symbols that we get. But by listening, the best things have come forward. Sometimes I don't necessarily understand them. Sometimes I just kind of make note of them. Like I said it earlier, but the more I surrender into where I'm to be of service, and I pray for that every single day, let me just be of service. Let me assist. Let me help. Because I can't heal. I can't heal a single individual. They do that themselves. But what I can do is I can offer a sacred space for a person to be reminded of how important they are. And from that context, miraculous things happen. You mentioned about the soul leaving the body in sleep. Does that happen to everybody? I believe it does. I just don't think everybody knows it's happening or wants to even deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would freak people out because they, you know, so many people think they're controlling everything and God love them. I've been that person too. Um, I still am. Still, you know, regal with that one. Yes, I do. I really do believe that there are really clear exits because I just think there are other things to do I think as important as we think the world is I think we participate on a number of different levels beyond what we imagine 
does the individual know where the soul is going? So when it's asleep and the soul leaves and it goes off and does its thing, does the body and the mind know what's happening? I don't believe so. I don't think it would help us out at all if it did. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the separation of church and state. I think what's physical and what's dense, God love us, stays physical and dense. And then the part of us that has the grander awareness that's always tethered to the divine has other places to go and then just lays back in until such time that that connection doesn't serve the greater good anymore or that soul has another part of their evolution to continue with. So it's funny, I was realizing this last night and talking to a I'm part of a pre-conference discussion next week in Portland, Oregon on the language and the um, discomfort with talking about death. And uh, we were having a, um, a group discussion about that whole thing. And I was realizing, you know, my work is really weird because they were talking about how we need to talk about death at, in the past tense and how many people can't embrace that language. And I realized, like, in my work, I talk about death in two languages, I, or in two tenses. I have to talk about the physical death as past, because my clients are dealing with the physical death of a person. But the soul is in all tense. So I, I have multiple tenses that I deal with when we're talking about the soul. And we're, we're talking about, you know, us. So, yes, there's a total separation between the physical body and the soul. The mind is an interesting one to bring into it because I think the mind is kind of the medium between the body and the soul. I think the mind is the physical medium between the body and the soul. Austin, who inspires you to do what you do? I kind of want to say everybody. <laughs> Seriously, I, I mean, definitely being the universe, that feeling that presence inspires me deeply because it makes me realize how much we could do here. <laughs> how much healing could happen if people would focus just a portion of what we put into technology and to warfare into interpersonal relationships and healing and outreach and community. And I really believe individual souls make a huge impact and I'm not trying to do it for the impact I'm just doing because I just have hope. Erin, I have hope that this world can become what the universe is. And that's a infinite intelligence because if we could get that together, I mean, it just would be miraculous what we could do. Hope, hope inspires me. If you could look back at yourself as a mirror and tell your younger self, what would, what would you tell us? <laughs> Life's a party. Dance. <laughs> Just dance. Joy. Have fun. Don't worry so much. Just just be exactly who you are and know that that's the best gift you can give yourself and everybody else. If there was one piece of knowledge that happened in your story, your experiences, or through our clients, what is it? The thing that's coming to mind I'm going to trust. There's a family that I'm very connected with. I was aware of the fact that their father was ill. I was standing outside in the backyard and I felt this presence and I hadn't met this man, but I knew once I felt his presence that it was his soul. I acknowledged him and he said, damn. And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, I just missed it. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, 
We have all the opportunities and all the time we need. It's not about the stuff, it's about the love. And it's about where you are and what you have then. Not what you don't have, but what you have. And it came from such an unlikely source because he was a very materialistic man, had really not great relationships with most of the family members and a lot of people in his life. And immediately in transitioning, because I found out he had just passed when I sensed his soul, he had an immediate awareness of missed opportunities in his life. So from that, I know we have all the time we need, even those that pass young. We have all the time we need to do what it is that we're supposed to do. There's so much beauty surrounding us in all moments. It's like, why do we worry so much? Austin, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for being such a beautiful facilitator for easy conversation. Your questions are just so lovingly presented and your soul is so dear, Erin. You have a very gentle, loving presence. So I'm just grateful that you're doing what you're doing. And I just encourage you to just do that because it's good. <laughs> you're a very soulful person, sir. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.